afternoon, everyone. Can you hear me? Can you hear me back in the back? Yeah, okay. Yeah, good. Okay, well, I'm Deb Hastings. I direct continuing nursing education at Dartmouth-Hitchcock, and um, welcome to all of you seated here in our room and to those of you who are joining us from afar. Uh, we are here for our special session of Nursing Grand Rounds, where we will be discussing gastroenterology and specifically what's the latest with C. diff. The learning outcomes for this activity are as follows. At the conclusion of the presentation, learners should be able to review the disease process of C. diff, describe the present conventional treatment, discuss fecal microbiota transplant, or FMT, and the FDA position, and describe open biome. Um, so those were, there are some new uh, terms in there to me, and perhaps they're new to you as well. So I think this is going to be some latest and updated information. So before we begin, I do have several announcements. Um, after the program, you will receive an email from the Center for Learning and Professional Development. There'll be a link to an online evaluation. And uh, we ask you to please complete that. Uh, your feedback is very important to us. And it helps us plan future programming. So please uh, take a few minutes to return that to us. And within two weeks' time, your credit will be posted to your online transcript. Um, please be sure to sign in if you're here with us in the room. And for folks who are watching us from afar, please contact Judy Langhans uh, via email. And that's judith.m, as in Mary, dot Langhans, L-A-N-G-H-A-N-S, at hitchcock.org, and let her know you attended. She'll just need your name, credential, and zip code. Uh, let's see, you must be present for 80% of this presentation in order to receive credit. Uh, if you need to access your online transcripts, uh, there's information by the sign-in sheet here. For folks who are watching from your computers, just contact Judy and she can send you that information. Neither our speaker nor anyone on the planning committee has identified a financial interest or relationship with a commercial entity or any conflict of interest regarding this activity, and no one refused to disclose. So at this time, I would like to introduce you to our speaker, Conrad Worrell. We, you can begin now. Your boss just walked in. <laughs> <clears throat> Conrad is the unit supervisor in the, in the endoscopy department here at Dartmouth-Hitchcock. He holds certification in gastroenterology nursing. He's so active in SGNA that if you Google SGNA, his name is all over the place, and that's the Society of Gastroenterology Nurses. Um, when I asked him if he was a nationally known speaker, knowing that he is, he said, oh, yeah, all the time. So I think, <laughs> please join me in welcoming uh, Conrad as our guest speaker this afternoon. Thank you, Deb. <laughs> thank you so much for that introduction. And thank you for uh, welcoming me to Grand Rounds. It's always a pleasure to speak with colleagues. I always enjoy speaking to fellow nurses. Absolutely. All right. So our topic today is C. diff and what's new. So a lot of times when we talk about some controversial subjects in nursing, we always wonder how did we get to that point. So let me just start to review the objectives. The objectives, like Deb said, were to review the disease process of C. diff, describe present and conventional treatments. We're going to discuss uh, fecal microbiota transplant 
and we're going to talk a little bit about what the FDA's stance is on stool transplant, and we're also going to talk about open biome. Now, this is Elvira. Elvira was my mother, and in 1995, she was diagnosed with renal failure. She was a diabetic, and at that time, they were going to put a shunt in. So they gave her pre-op antibiotics at that time and started to do the shunt, and it failed. She then developed diarrhea, which they found out was C. diff. So after that shunt failed, they decided that they would try again. And again, they gave her pre-op antibiotics. She developed diarrhea immediately and was again diagnosed with recurrent C. diff. So they waited a couple of months. They inserted a neck valve for her dialysis, and they were unable to put another shunt in. Um, she lived for about two years with that shunt, and then she decided that she didn't want to do dialysis anymore, and she died in December of 1997. So I went to a conference in St. Louis, uh, St. Louis, and there was a talk on C. diff and stool transplant. And it was at 7 o'clock in the morning. So I think I said, I think I'm going to go to this. And I did. The room was packed because of C. diff. And we all wanted to hear, of course, about this stool transplant. So C. diff is really, really not that old. It was only first discovered in the 1930s as a normal flora of newborn babies. Um, and then with post-operative post care and the development of antibiotics in the 1950s, that really proliferated. In 1974, when we were given clindamycin for pre-op antibiotics, we started to see a lot more of what they would call clindamycin colitis or pseudomembranous colitis. And in 1978, we finally said that this was an antibiotic-associated pseudomembranous colitis caused by the C. diff toxin. Now, incidence of C. diff, it's estimated that there's between 5,000 or 500,000 and 3 million cases of C. diff occurring in the United States hospitals and long-term care facilities. Internationally, in Canada, we get about 92% 92 cases per 100,000, and in Europe is 41 cases per 100,000. Anybody have any idea why that is? 
correct. So the risk factors in developing uh, C. diff go up if you're, especially if you're taking a broad spectrum antibiotic that target a wide range of bacteria or the use of multiple antibiotics that suppress the immune system. Patients are a lot of times at risk if they're taking antibiotics prophylactically, like my mother did for her um, shunt, or if they're on them for long term. If you have abdominal surgery or any GI procedures, that also increases your risk. Or if you have colon disease, such as IBD or colorectal cancer, also increases your risk. If you had a previous C. diff infection, you are more likely to get it again. And any antihistamine intakes that reduces stomach acid also put you at risk for C. diff. So the case definition for Z. diff is any diarrhea that has not been recognized by any other cause. We can do lab tests to make sure that we don't have the toxin. And it's usually a stool test that we'll send to the lab. And what they're looking for is toxin B or the stool immunoassay for toxin A or B. We also do a stool culture for C. diff. Or we can also do colonoscopy. And if we see pseudomembranous colitis, it's, that's a, usually a definite. So C. diff is ingested as a vegetative form, and it's a very, very hardy spore. And it's been known to, be, to live outside the body for longer than six months. Spores also survive for a very long period outside the body, but it can also hide in the stomach. And it's transmitted by usually the fecal oral route. Now, the life cycle of C. diff, sorry, there we go. It usually starts in the environment and the equipment. And then it gets on patients' hands, staff members, or visitors. Those spores are ingested. And especially if a patient's in the hospital, they have a weakened immune system. So like I said, C. diff is a very opportunistic disease. So the spores are ingested and they start to germinate. And the person may be an asymptomatic carrier, and this can go on for months. But with the introduction of antibiotics, or if the person becomes ill and immunosuppressed, that's when the C. diff will take over, causing the normal gut flora to alter and therefore making the C. diff increase. The organisms increase, 
the toxin load increases, and then the patient will have diarrhea. Those bacteria are, and spores are shed in the stool, and then you get contamination. These are some of the images that we would see on uh, colonoscopy. And there's the pseudomembranous colitis. So we all know that our colons are usually used to reabsorb any of the water that we intake. But with C. diff, it's unable to reabsorb, and this is what causes the fulminant diarrhea. When my mom had uh, her bout of uh, C. diff, I happened to go home and see her at that time. She was having upwards to 16 to 20 diarrheal stools a day. Her bottom looked like a raw piece of meat. Complications from, from C. diff. The dehydration, of course, because you're no longer able to reabsorb that water. It can also cause renal failure because it's upsetting all your electrolytes. And with my mother, she was already having renal failure, so that didn't make it any better. It can also, if those pseudomembranous membranes go into the bowel instead of coming out, they can also cause colon perforations which leads to peritonitis, can also cause toxic megacolon, and then eventually death. Treatments and medications. The first thing that you have to do when a patient is diagnosed with C. diff is to stop the offending antibiotic. So if you know that the patient is on an antibiotic that is causing them diarrhea, stop it. But the treatments also include other antibiotics, like Flagyl, which is usually the first course, and Vancomycin. These antibiotics do stop the C. diff from growing, which allows your normal bacteria or your normal flora to then proliferate. A second line of treatment for recurrent C. diff also includes probiotics, such as bacteria and yeast, which may help to restore that normal balance of our colons. Sometimes patients have surgery if they have severe pain, if they start to have organ failure, a lot of times they all have a total colectomy. And the new treatment on the market that just came out in uh, 2014 is Deficit, and this is a new antibiotic, but they haven't had a whole lot of success with it. Now, like I said, vancomycin is one of the first-line treatments for infection, and it shows when you give vancomycin that patients do get better. 98% of them with a mild case of C. diff do get better. And on a second course, if they do have severe infection, 
Banco, uh, the Flagyl also does a very good job at 97%. And a lot of times you will see these antibiotics are given together. So in this slide, um, if they give, you know, a medium dose of vancomycin or a low dose of vancomycin, and sometimes even high doses of vancomycin, they're still pretty effective. So recurrent disease. About a quarter of people with C. diff will get sick again, either because the initial infection didn't go away or they developed another strain of the bacteria. Treatments for, for recurrent disease, like I said, antibiotics. Sometimes they'll add probiotics. And at last course, they will do fecal bacteriotherapy or stool transplant. Now, like I said, if you have C. diff, a quarter of the percentage of people will get it again. And of those people, 40% of them may get it again as well. And if they have a second, re a first reoccurrence, it's a 50% chance that they'll get a third recurrence. Now, the first line of treatment for recurrent C. diff is the tapered and pulsed vanco. They give 125 milligrams four times a day for two weeks, then 125 milligrams twice a day for a week. They keep up with the 125 milligrams again, but they give it daily for a week. And then every other day for four doses, and then every third day for five doses. So it's a very long time that patients are on those, that antibiotic. But prevention, and this is where we come in, there's nothing more important than hand washing as far as C. diff is concerned. And it's recommended that we wash our hands with soap and water. We also put patients on contact precautions and who is the only person that can discontinue contact precautions here at Dartmouth? Who is it? Housekeeping. <laughs> no, because I mean, they are the ones that terminally clean that room and they are the ones that should be taking down that contact precaution sign. There has to be a thorough cleaning. Anything that goes into that room cannot come out unless it's been disinfected with bleach. And we also want to avoid any unnecessary use of antibiotics. So, like I said, you know, hand washing is extremely, extremely important. And also, we must educate our families that are coming in to visit. You know, anybody that goes into that room has to, you know, wear a gown and gloves.
and you know be really educated on you know what what they need to do so fecal bacterial therapy fecal microbiota therapy or stool transplant is the use of complete human flora as a therapeutic measure and it's also the process of instilling a liquid suspension of stool from a healthy donor into the GI tract of the recipient. This is a great lunch talk, isn't it? <laughs> so it's mostly widely used for relapsing C. diff. But the thing about it is that you're going to get either 90 to 92% cure for C. diff. It promotes antagonistic activity of normal flora towards C. diff. And positive results have also been seen with the use of fecal bacterial therapy in IBD, IBS, chronic constipation, and obesity. There's a doctor called Tom Brody that uh, is from Australia. And he did a lot of this examination of flora. And this is what, these are the four things that he is using it for in, in uh, Australia. Not, not, not necessarily only for C. diff, but those other four things as well. Now, fecal transplant is really not all that new because in the fourth century, they were using it for people with diarrhea and they used to call it yellow soup. They also used it in the 17th century in Italy. And then in 1958, Eisman used it as fecal enemas on four patients with fulminating pseudomembranous colitis and found that it helped. So there's a lot of historical barriers, of course, for using fecal microbiota therapy. Uh, its efficacy and its safety, um, acceptance, or what I usually call the yuck factor, Regulatory, because now you're introducing something from somebody else's body into, into you know, a patient or a client. And the applicability and the logistics sometimes were very difficult. When I started talking about C. difficile and fecal by, uh, microbiota therapy, it was not uh, approved by the FDA. And people were using, you know, family members in order to donate stool. And it was a large cost because insurances do not cover testing of that person. And what they would do is we would do the normal blood, you know, the bloodborne pathogens, we would do HIV tests, we would do, you know, normal CBC, 
uh, any liver uh, enzymes. We would also do um, hepatitis screens and all of that. And that was uh, a payment to either the patient or the donor out of pocket because that wasn't, you know, covered. So which route is best? If you do fecal microbiota therapy by nasogastric tube, all you have to do is 25 cc's. Patient is usually uh, told to be NPO the night before. They come, uh, they're given uh, omeprazole and they're also uh, given Reglan and pretty easy and inexpensive. Is it well tolerated? I mean, I don't know if anybody here has had an NG tube, but I know when I was in nursing school, we did put NG tubes down each other. And I, I hope that I would never have to have that as a patient, but um, it, was, it was an experience. And there are, like I said, the omeprazole is the, is the PPI that they're given. By colonoscopy, it's more invasive and you have to use a larger volume of stool. Enemas are inexpensive, but they may be problems with retention. They may need more than one infusion and they really should have a bowel prep so that you can, you know, clear the colon when you're injecting stool. Now there was a story when I went to this first uh, seminar to talk about fecal bacterial therapy. And there was gent a gentleman who lived out in the boondocks of Minnesota and his wife was very, very ill. So he called and, you know, wanted to talk to one of the people who were doing stool transplant. And he asked if, you know, there was any possibility that he would be able to do it at home. His wife was too sick to travel. They, you know, didn't think they could afford the ambulances and all of that stuff to take her into the hospital. And he did a stool transplant from his stool and gave her the um, stool transplant with an enema at home. Um, I think it took about three enemas for it to work, but it did work. So nasogastric versus colonoscopy. Uh, the resolution of F um, fecal microbiota therapy with nasogastric tube was about 29. Um, no resolution after FMT was about five in the N NG group. But the colonoscopy group, um, out of 148 people, 138 people were were better. But they also did have eight relapses and two with the NG tube. But as you can see, they did say that there was four people who had died after having FMT with colonoscopy. But those deaths were not related to the FMT, but they had to include them because the patient received fecal microbiota therapy. 
So there has been a lot, a lot of interest now in fecal bacteria therapy. And um, it follows a lot of studies of the microbiome. And, you know, this is very, very, very interesting and very, very scientific work. So the patient requirements in order to get a fecal transplant, the American Gastroenterology Association guidelines say that any relapsing C. difficile infection greater than three times. So if the patient has only had C. diff once, they recommend antibiotics. But after a third time, they recommend fecal microbiota therapy. Now, if you can imagine, these people are so sick and so debilitated because, I mean, if you're having between, you know, 10 and 15 or 10 and 25 stools a day, I mean, what do you think your life is like? You can't go out anywhere can't do anything because either you're too weak to do anything or you're going to have diarrhea and you don't know when it's going to when it's going to happen so these people's lives are are really devastating so if they stop responding to traditional antibiotics and that the restricted it's re totally restricted to C difficile infection at the present time that they can actually relate that the diarrhea is definitely related to C. diff. So there was a multi-center retrospective study of eight patients, and they also had uh, HIV, and some, some of them were cancer, and some of them were IBD patients, and they also they have seen a 72% uh, cure rate in these patients. But they also had two deaths, one aspiration and one pneumonia. One, uh, some line infections and some from floor, four flares of IBD, but no infectious complications related to the fecal microbiota therapy. Um, they had one severe case that the death was due to sepsis following FMT instilled by a gastrostomy tube. So obviously the gastrostomy tube probably wasn't in the right place. So open biome. Now this, we do do fecal transplant and endoscopy, and this is the way that we do it. Um, by Open Biome, and this is an organization dedicated to expanding safe access to fecal transplants and catalyzing research into the human microbiome. Now, this company is located in Boston, and they do um, gather stool from people, but it takes about 42 days for that stool to be released for use in a patient because they do all of the 
studies, they do a background check, they, they, they do a, a very, very clear and very, very thorough examination of the patients who are doing stool plant, transplant. And they also pay them $40 for each stool that they donate. So there's some people that make a career, like especially college students and stuff like that. No, they're, I mean, this is, I mean, it sounds funny, but it's really not. That will make up to about $13,000 a year to donate stool. But like I said, they have to go through a very, very rigorous, um, you know, screening. So their aim is to eliminate barriers to FMT because the person who actually started this company had a friend who had C. diff, was very chronically ill with C. diff, ended up having a stool transplant and got better. And so you know, the friend was telling them about all the difficulties they had, how, you know, insurance wasn't paying for this and all that stuff. So they started this company. It also enables transformational research into the human biome. And that's what they're all about, is doing a lot of research on how exactly how this works, how well it works, and why it doesn't work so well. And like I said, it, it was developed because of a close friend that, that had C. diff. Now, it comes in three different types of preparation. There's a lower delivery, which we would give uh, during colonoscopy. And that is about a 250 mil uh, bottle of uh, fecal material that's prepared for uh, lower gastroenterology delivery like colonoscopy or enemas. And uh, we have an upper delivery that comes in a 30 mil bottle of the stool and we can give that either by nasogastric tube. And in Canada, they had developed a pill which um, can be delivered orally but you have to take about 23 to 47 pills at a time. But we just, we just do the lower. We do the 250 mils. This is a picture of our fridge where we keep the um, stool microbiota. And it's uh, stored at minus 20 degrees. The stool comes frozen and packed in, in uh, ice, and uh, we put it in our fridge. It's all lot numbered. We have to, um, you know, say who we gave it to, when we did it, all of that stuff. Yes, there is an expi expiration date. And this is what it looks like. That's how it comes prepared. So, like I said, there's a very, very rigorous quality and screening and safety program. The donor's given an assessment. It's clinical.
they have laboratory screenings, and they also have continuous requalifications. So it's not like if you give stool today that they're going to be willing to take it, you know, in the next week or so. You have to go through that screening again. They also have production controls through their processing, their storage, and how it's shipped. And like I said, they trace every single bottle of what they deliver. We also do a data collection. If the patient has any adverse effects to any of the uh, stool transplant, and we have to send them back the tracking log of who we used it on. And if they didn't have any um, reaction to it, or they didn't get a cure, then we also have to fill out paperwork for that as well. It's a very strict quarantine procedure. It's a very independent council. And it's, it is, you know, now being approved by the FDA because it's so strict. So the patient's preparation, uh, patient needs to be totally cleaned out. It has to be a very, very good prep. And usually we want no stool in the colon whatsoever. So a lot of times they're either given two to three doses of prep in order to clear them out very, very well. We also try to keep them on a two-day liquid diet, like I said, followed by a three-dose prep, especially those patients that have constipation or patients with di diabetes that, you know, have a slow emptying of their stomach or gastroparesis. We usually make them stop their antibiotics for about two to three days before we, before we give it because then that'll you know, help the colon start to regain its flora. So we try to do a, colon we do a colonoscopy and we try to intubate into the terminal ileum. We go as far or go as far as we can and then start the installation. Now we have irrigators that we irrigate the colon when we're doing colonoscopies. Usually we hook, um, you know, the preparation is taking out usually about four hours before we're ready to give it. And it is thawed. Then we pour it into a, a, a large saline bottle, hook up our irrigation tubing to it, hook it up to our colonoscopy you know, our, our, our um, scope, and then inject it into the colon with like that. We also like to, in some places, position the patient on their right side for a couple of hours. And a lot of places will also give um, loperamide after the procedure, and then again, four to six hours after that in order to delay colonic emptying. The frozen poop pill. There was 27 patients that they gave this to 
that had at least four recurrences of C. diff. They were centrifuge stool from family. Like I said, they gave about 24 to 37 pills per dose, and they had no recurrences after eight weeks. With open label uh, feasibility, they had 20 patients and they had about three recurrences and they only gave 15 capsules over two days. And they had about, you know, like I said, 40 to 20 people that didn't have a relapse. 14 out of 20 didn't have a relapse after eight weeks. So rates of cure at 10 weeks without relapse. The first infusion of donor, uh, donor feces at about 81.3%. Infusion of donor feces overall was about 93.8%. With vancomycin, 30.8. And va vancomycin with large bowel lavage, only 23.1. So there are some potential immunologic consequences to FMT that have not been studied. Procedure should not be considered without risk, of course. Out of 77 patients, there was a study that was done. Four people developed such diseases as peripheral neuropathy, idiopathic thrombocytopenia, rheumatic uh, arthritis, or Sorgen's disease. But could we definitely relate these back to FMT is not really certain. So the FDA, as we all know, is a department in the United States uh, of Health and Human Services. And we actually, uh, the Society of Gastroenterology Nurses and Associates, I don't know if a lot of people in the audience knew about this CRE, infection with colonoscopes, but uh, SGNA, the Society of Gastroenterology Nurses, uh, last year was asked to um, make a presentation to the FDA regarding, you know, exactly what it is about scope cleaning and all that stuff. And they actually invited a lot of people. They invited all the infection prevention people from APEC, all those people. They also invited the CDC. They also invited SGNA. They invited all the manufacturers to talk about to talk about this disease. So they're the people that actually regulate anything that goes into our bodies as far as medications are concerned. And, you know, they were totally, I mean, people were doing it with their own people, with their own family members, but, you know, the FDA was really not happy about that. But since we started with open biome and the screening process, like I said, is so meticulous they are they're on board with it because we can you know the the, the data is out there that we're we're getting great results with their uh, fecal transplants so in july of 
2013, the FDA released the guidance for industry regarding fecal transplant. And there's also now Facebook group with fecal microbiota transplant. And there's also a great website actually called The Power of Poop. <laughs> and they also, um, you know, direct people to, uh, you know, because not, there's not a whole lot of gastroenterologists that are doing that, doing this. But I think there's going to be a lot more because of the results that we're having. Any questions? Um, going back to your prevention slide, I've often wondered why physicians, when they order antibiotics, don't order probiotics at the same time. Right. Do we see any trend heading that way, or is there anything that, from nursing that you would recommend that we can do to encourage that, or are there even studies to show that it is? Well, I mean, I think it's a great idea. I Could you just try to repeat that? Oh. I'm sorry. The question was, um, now that when doctors are prescribing antibiotics, why are they not um, including a probiotic with it? And I think that's a great idea. I think it's a great idea. And I don't think anybody would have any problem with that because that would help, you know, keep your normal, your normal flora in balance. I think that's a great, that's a great idea. Yes. Um, the question was, is there any preference in antibiotic or probiotics? Because there's a lot of them out there. And I think that um, the more prevalent um, probiotic is um, the Align product. And they say that that one has the, the most of, um, of our normal flora in our colons. Not doing any promotional, what do you call it here? But that's that's from what that from what I hear. That's 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 one of the better. Yes. I, um, it's not a question actually. I actually encountered a patient. I was a travel nurse, and um, there's a patient who actually had the fecal transplant, and that was news to me at that time. Um, but he was a year past it, and he went underwent a kidney transplant then. Um, but he couldn't, he had to be delayed to get off of his transplant list because of all the recurrency there. Correct. So I have, and I do find that the Boston kind of area physicians actually do, when they order um, the antibiotics, they're putting them right on immediately on probiotics. Perfect. Perfect. I think quite a few of my doctors are as well. Excellent. That's really great to hear. That's really great to hear. Yes, Eileen. Yeah, is there any like, is poop in poop and anybody can use any of it? Or is there a specific, like, is it a specimen or a container come for a specific patient? No, 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 poop is poop. It's generic poop. So the question was, does it come for a specific person? And it doesn't. It's, it's just, you know, and it's, and it's well prepared. You know, they add the saline to it, they mix it, they strain it, they, they do everything to it. And so when we get it, it's ready for use 
all we have to do is thought. And there's a couple of ways that we can thought. So usually it's, you know, we just leave it out for four hours or we can put it in a um, water bath. I think it's at, is it 68 degrees? 68 degrees for an hour with thought. Yes. I don't think we've done any with NG. Yeah. It just seems as though less invasive and um, less. Well, I think, well. Right. So the question, the question was, is does, well, Dartmouth has chosen to do it by colonoscope. Why not do it by NG tube? And I think it's probably more tolerable or it removes the yuck factor for patients because patients, you know, this is, this is a very hard sell a lot of times to patients. So, I mean, if you're having, I mean, we know that we produce stool in our colons. So it's much easier, it's a much easier sell to say that we're going to do it colonoscopy wise then you have to eat this or, you know, people, people have a really bad, what do you call it about that? But I mean, you know, we have a great doctor. I mean, Dr. Levy, who does the stool transplants here. I mean, he really, you know, really talks with the patients, explains everything well. And I mean, like I said, these people are so sick and so homebound that they want, they want their life back. They want their life back. And they'll do anything to get it back. And so, you know, it's, you know, and like I said, we've been seeing so many cures. And it's just been absolutely wonderful. I think we've done about 19. Yeah, 19. Yeah. So are you keeping your own data? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. 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 Yes. How long do you follow them out after you? Oh, they're followed for, they're followed for years. They're followed for years. And the payer sources are paying for? Correct. Yes. There is a code now for, for fecal transplant. I'm still not getting how it works. Well, it's a flora problem. It's a flora problem. So what we're really doing is introducing flora, that good colon flora, back into into the patient's body. And then if you do it nasogastrically, you just need such a small amount. Right. Right. Because it's traveling through your small intestines and then into your larger intestine. But, yeah, you don't have to use as much. In the nasogastric release, you mentioned how important the valve prep was for the colonoscopy. Yeah. In the nasogastric group, is the valve prep also used there? No. 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 They're just kept NPO the night before. Nasogastric tube, 30 mils of the, they're usually given a PPI and a, a reglan to help it move faster throughout the, 
the GI tract, and then they can give it nasogastrically. Have we done any of those here at all? No. We have not done any of those. Like I said, it's really hard for patients to get over that yuck factor. But you know, so wouldn't you want to slow things down if you do it nasogastrically so it really has time to absorb? And it's like, I'm not getting, like, clean out the colon so it could absorb you. No, but obviously not. Right? Clean out the colon when we do it rectally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but not nasogastrically. Yeah. There, there's no absorption. You're just basically trying to... Placed flora. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is the Open Biome company, I guess, are they the only ones in the country? Yes. They are the only one in the country so far that are doing this. Prior to Open Biome, family members would have to go, would give their donations. And it would have to go through a series of tests and processes that cost up like to $1,000, $5,000 for the donation to be made. Um, and that's what we used prior to. And now this is fabulous. It comes in a little container. And bada bing, bada boom, you're done. <laughs> no, it's, I, mean, it's really, I mean, it's really great because, like I said, we hook it up to our irrigator. It goes in through the colonoscope. It's it's wonderful. And I mean, these patients like are so happy to come for this test because they know that they're going to get, you know, they're going to get well. About 92%. About 92%. Yeah. Yeah. Colitis, irritable bowel, obesity, constipation. Um, and it has the same statistical uh, it, I'm not quite sure on those. I'm not quite sure on those numbers, to tell you the truth. But the question was, um, you know, they're using it for other things except for C. diff. You know, what are the success rates? And I'm not really sure on what the success rates are though for those. So um, what is the, why obesity? What happens there? Because what they're thinking, the question is, why for obesity? And the question is, and the answer is, is that we think that what they think that the microbiome of skinny people is different than the microbiome of fat people. So if you inject stool from a skinny person, into a fat person, you will change their microbiome for them to lose weight. I mean, I think this is so great because we're just hitting actually the very tip of the iceberg as far as the microbiome is concerned. And I mean, they and this open biome is very, very, you know, good at trying to do more research on this. Usually within a couple of days, people will say, you know, will say, uh, I am so much better. I am so much better. I haven't had, you know, any diarrhea. I'm starting to get my strength back. So it's in within days. So you continually have to uh, monitor the 
Oh yeah, we we monitor them. You know, they have you know visits, reoccurring visits with their doctor to make sure that everything is doing well. I think we have to cut out now, and I'm really sorry. But if anybody has any other uh, questions, please do not hesitate to to get a hold of me. Thank you so much.